I believe sometimes as women, as girls, we forget our self-worth. Whether it's boundaries put up around us that prevents us to remember that we are strong, powerful women, or boundaries we put in ourselves that makes us think that we are not strong, that we aren't really worthy. My goal is to change that. My goal is to have you know that you are worthy, that you are capable of making a difference and a change, that you are capable of succeeding and pushing yourself. My podcast, Girls Who Run the World, shares stories of strong, powerful women that are changing the world, that impact their community through their everyday lives. I am so excited to share this podcast with you all, hoping that it makes you realize that you are strong, you are worthy, and you are powerful. Let's do this. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm interviewing someone so important to the Baltimore area, not just because she is one of the people working tirelessly behind all that happens with our favorite football team, the Baltimore Ravens, but but because she is truly making an impact in her community. My guest today is the amazing Elizabeth Merriman. Elizabeth is the Senior Vice President of Human Resources, as well as the Senior VP of People, Inclusion, and Culture. Elizabeth, Elizabeth is dominating her work area and could not be doing more. I'm beyond excited to talk with her today, and thank you, Elizabeth, for joining me. I am so excited. Thanks for having me. I know. Um, I've been waiting to do this one for a long time. I feel like I, <laughs> I asked you like eight months ago. And I was I'm like, terrible I, at Facebook Messenger. That's okay. Really, I don't know. So. <laughs> it's okay. Um, just first start off by telling us like a little bit about yourself, your job. Sure. Uh, I'm Elizabeth Meerman. I am the Senior VP of People, Culture, and Inclusion here for the Ravens. We just rebranded. So we are historically HR. And that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. And we've taken a different approach and thinking about how we think about our employees and our culture and we've rebranded to people, culture and inclusion. So yeah. in my role, I'm responsible for all of our employees with the exception of the players. We do pay the players, mm-hmm. but managing their culture and inclusion and all of that really doesn't fall under our purview. Mm-hmm. But we do. We have about 315 full time employees and about 800 all in if you count part-time game mm-hmm. day, like our cheerleaders in the band and people who run the boards <laughs> the on the game, but yeah. on the show. That's, so we have about 800 when you count everybody together. Yeah. How did you get to the Ravens? Like, what was that story like? Oh, it's so interesting because I went to school. I uh, went to UMBC, go Retrievers. <laughs> um, and I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And at UMBC, you had to have an academic major and in addition to education. So basically you had a double double major. And they made you do placements each semester with the, the kids. And I did the first one. I'm like, I don't really like this. It was like super young kids. And I'm like, well, they're like, it's probably the wrong placement. And I did another one. And I'm like, I don't like this either. <laughs> and then I did the third one because you had to do four before you did student teaching. And I was like, I don't like this one either. This is totally not for me. So, but I had an academic major in psychology. And if you're from Baltimore, you've probably heard of Aerotech, which mm-hmm. is the the company that really... Steve Shoddy started that made him his millions of dollars right. that he could ultimately buy this team. I went to work for them and they really took anybody who had a degree and had a good personality and they could teach you how to recruit mm-hmm. and they could teach you to do the job. And so that's how I landed in HR and I went to work for them um, in 1999 and it was a fast growing, high paced, high change. I think I had five offices in five years because we just kept moving and um, the senior VP of HR, who was the, my boss's boss at the time, he called me into his office one day, you know, and you get that call. He's like, can you come over to my office? And I'm like, crap, what am I working on that he's going to want to know yeah. what I'm doing? I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm like, sure, I'll be right over. So I come over and he's got this long office kind of like I have now. And it's so intimidating. And he turns around and he like floats a piece of paper across the desk. He says, have a seat and floats this piece of paper across the desk. And it says <laughs> HR director, Baltimore Ravens. And it's the job description. And I look at it. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, would you be interested in this job? I'm like, is this a joke? Like, <laughs> yeah. what is the right answer to this question? Is it yes? Is it no? I don't know. And I'm like, obviously. So Steve had purchased 49% of the team in 1999. Mm-hmm. In 2004, he had an option to purchase another 50% of the team, making him the majority owner. And when he did that, he relied on a lot of his financial yeah. executives at Aerotech to look at the culture of the business and they didn't have an HR person. And the SVP of HR at the time was like, you need an HR person. Right. Like, that's just what you need. So they uh, posted a position for a director of HR and, and I got it. Um, and what year was this? 2004. Okay. So you've been here for a while now. Yeah. This is my 19th year, but 20th oh season. Goodness. We count seasons here. Right. So 19 <laughs> years to, going into my 20th, 20th season. season. Right. 
what has it been like to be with the Ravens, you know, through many, you know, challenging years and then a lot of exciting ones? So what's that like? You know, it's really interesting. We were talking before we Mm -hmm. started about how, you know, we are not really doing anything to save people's lives. For example, we don't work in a hospital. We don't, we're not doctors. We don't do that. But so much of our community is so invested in us Mm -hmm. and people who are going through really hard times. One of their biggest wishes is to stand on that field or to come to training camp or shake Lamar Jackson's hand. (laughs) All these kind of magical moments that, right, (laughs) these magical moments that you carry with you forever. So in the bad times when we lose, it's really hard because we feel like we're letting the whole, not only ourselves down, but the whole city and anybody who's invested in us. And in the good times, it's just magical. It's just a magical experience. Like you were really little when we won the Super Bowl. (laughs) Let's do it again. But, you know, when we win, this whole town is purple. Every grocery store you go to, you see somebody with a Raven shirt and you're just united in that spirit of winning and there's really nothing that brings a community together like a tragedy you know some sort of horrific mass shooting or a hurricane that Hmm. does a bunch of destruction and it brings the community together but nothing brings the community together in a positive way like a winning sports franchise right and it really does yeah and i think um i view i'm big football fan now and i love the ravens but since going to alabama i'm like gotta love football now i can't yeah, be like, you totally <laughs> i can't do. be the odd man out um but i i do agree with you that like people can find like football is like their part the joyful part of their life and they can sit down in front of the tv or they can sit in the at, at the stadium and watch the game and have this moment to themselves where they really are enjoying something that they just love to watch and right. like put down all the worries and their job and you know a lot of stress things that you know in this past couple of years that we've had because of covid and you know all of the things in baltimore things. but because I just think football and the environment here is so like excited. Everyone's just excited for like what's to come. I yeah. think that's a pretty amazing thing that you all have built. You can feel here. the energy. You yeah. really can. And you can feel the energy when the team is not doing well, the frustration right. and the disappointment. You can feel the energy in the win in the winning. And the truth is, even if you don't like football, say you're a mom and you're like, I don't like football. My husband's watching that all <laughs> Sunday afternoon and that's all they do is watch football. But the thing is, it gathers people together. Your kids right. come home. You make food. You know, you're they're in your house at the same time doing the same thing. And you remember where you were with those experiences, even if you're not actively right. watching. The Loving game. it. You yeah. Know, it, it just brings people together. Yeah. The community, families. It's, just, it's a really cool thing. I love it. Um, tell us a little bit about the transition from creating, what is it, people, inclusion, and culture. Mm-hmm. And then tell us a little bit about your role with that here the Ravens. Sure. I mean, I would say that we, the transition was an easy transition mm-hmm. to make because our brand of human resources, oftentimes when you think of human resources, you think stuffy, you think the rules, you think, you know, people that you don't want to talk to unless <laughs> yeah. you have to talk to them, you know, that kind of thing. And so our brand, particularly in sports has been a more edgy style of, of, I would say HR, you know, obviously people have to follow the rules mm-hmm. and that's what we're here to do. But we really make our culture a part of what we do. So when we interview people, it's a very long process. They meet a ton of people. They come to see as much as we're interviewing them, they're interviewing us. When you come to work, we make sure it's a match. Do you love what you Mm -hmm. do? Because if you don't love what you do here, you won't be very good at it for one. And for two, you spend a lot of time here. um, So our brand of HR has been more strategic business partner rather than HR stuffy police. So right. we sit down and we talk to our leaders and we develop our people and say, let's make sure they're in the right spot. We're making sure we're giving them the tools they need for development. Are they having anything that's happening to them inside of their family that might be harming them or holding them back or any of those kinds of things? Right. So the shift from HR to people, culture, and inclusion really wasn't super challenging, challenging. because the most valuable asset we have in the building is are the people. Right, are the people. Right. And then what do you think in today's workplace, how do you form and what's the importance of this inclusive culture that you guys are building or that you guys have? Well, you know, it's interesting because it's really a buzzword now. You know, there's a lot of um, people who are looking for jobs and they want to talk about what your inclusion policy is, where you stand on DEI, where you stand on social justice, and where you stand on social reform and all Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So the Ravens have long been a pillar of the community when the models brought the team here mm-hmm. the community was a huge part of them we've given millions and millions of dollars to all kinds of worthy causes um throughout the history of the team 
And we haven't had a super internal focus on inclusion, mm-hmm. although we've had snippets of it. We really, really, really after 2020 and the George Floyd right. murder that really, I think, kickstarted America and was like, why haven't we seen this? And why haven't we mm-hmm. been more active around this? Um, because it's been happening for generations. And so from that perspective, we really started having some focus groups and listening to our staff and saying, what does it mean? What does it mean to bring your blackness to work? Right. What does it mean to be open in your LGBTQ life and sharing that kind of thing and make sure that our culture is supporting all of those kinds of things. Right. So just thinking about it in a different way, I think, or thinking about it at all. Yeah, another way. Yeah. And I do think it's important, you know, going into high school um, in a very diverse area, but still like a predominantly white institute, NDP was, Mm -hmm. and my senior, was it my junior year? I think it was my senior year. That was the first year ever. It wasn't my senior year. I gotta remember. Yes, it was my senior year. Um, just that first couple, the first couple months, she ended up leaving. But that we had a DEI mm-hmm. representative counselor that people could go to, especially people of color could have this person mm-hmm. that they know they can have this relationship with mm-hmm. and talk about these the issues that they're mm-hmm. encountering, whether it's at school or just in their life in general. Yeah. And so, I see like the word inclusion, DEI, come up a lot more in my life after that. And I think. You're right. After 2020 with George Floyd, the protests, riots, and then now even more importantly, as like we learn a lot from that, like right. all the events after that. Right. Right. Um, so what do you think are some ways that organizations or even like what ways that you guys have become more inclusive or have worked with the DEI and stuff like that? You know, it's becoming a- awareness is one thing. Right. And being aware that something needs to be done. If you look around in your culture and it looks pretty homogenous, you have to kind of think about how did I get this way? You mm-hmm. know, because our environment outside of it is not homogenous. We're really diverse, right. you know. So how did we get this way? And it wasn't purposeful, mm-hmm. but it also wasn't purposeful to look for people who look different than us. And the truth right. is our fans are really diverse. So yeah. what are if you have an all one view, you're not necessarily going to know what fans of a different view are looking for. So some of the things that you can do is really you start thinking about it and you start noticing things and you yeah. look around and see what what the demographics of your situation are. Do you have single moms? You know, it's not just race. Do you have single moms? Do you have single dads? Do you have what do you have mm-hmm. that makes up your your population of people? And then you start really trying to be more intentional about where you're sourcing your people from. To, for your open positions, mm-hmm. but you're also bringing the conversation up in the workplace. You may say, you know, to your moms or to your dads or to your people of color and ask them questions. How does this show up for you mm-hmm. in your workplace? And those are conversations that really had never been had before. You know, right. if you're a mom in sports, particularly, you know, you play sports seven days a week. This is a seven day a week job yeah. from the time training camp opens until we play our final game of the season, which is hopefully at the Super Bowl. We play on Christmas Day this year. You know, we ha- you know, we just do. Yeah. So that is a really it's it, it can be a barrier to entry for people who have families and right. young children. It can be a barrier to entry who for people who have a certain religious belief. Um, so you just have to start talking to people about those kinds of things. Right. And then you can start folding it in. How do we accommodate that? Can we accommodate that? What does that look like? Is it reasonable? Is yeah. it unreasonable? Um, because speaking to your point about sports bringing people together, it really knows no cultural or religious boundaries. It just goes. Right. And you have to kind of figure out your way around it. So being aware and just opening the conversation is really probably the first thing you can do. Mm. And then building some metrics around where you are today and where you hope to be in the future. And you can do climate surveys, you can do analytics and data of your hiring right. and things like that. And you can look at people, maybe they started here, maybe they're going someplace else. And that's a success story right. too. It's like maybe there wasn't a full-time job here, but they started as an intern and 10 years from now, they're the director of marketing for the Browns or something right. like that. You know, and I think it is important. Like I, I like the word that you use, like a, having awareness because, you know, personally, I didn't think about like, and this is the truth, before growing up, like in a predominantly white community, I didn't see much diversity growing up just in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. in the private school that I went to in Bel Air, and then started to see more as I went to NDP. And now, especially as I've like networked, mm-hmm. grown, gone to college and just seen more of the world in general. And I think that 
you know, being aware was really important. When my junior year, senior year, before COVID, George, George Floyd and this idea of diversity and Black Lives Matter and all these, you know, organizations, I was never talking about it before. And in my family, we were like, right. we never, we were talking about, you know. I mean, it's systemic. And someone once uh, described racism as like the air that we breathe. Mm -hmm. It's so systemic that we aren't aware of it, particularly if we're not a minority. Now, right. maybe because you're a woman, it might come up a little bit more right. for you. But because we are not people of color, you know, in general, it hasn't come up for us in our, if we're lucky, in our upbringing. Right. You know, we haven't really had to think about it. Yeah. You had, didn't have to go to school and think about, do people treat me differently because right. of the way I look or the way I sound or any of these kinds of things, or the religion I practice or any of those kinds of things because we're in the dominant group. Right. When you're in the dominant group, you don't really think about the fact that there may or may not be an elevator because it doesn't matter because you can use the stairs, exactly. you know? and so you're in if and if you're blessed enough to be in a progressive family that is open to talking about it and teaching you about it right. at least from their perspective you're at least open to learning there are plenty of people that are not even open to learning mm -hmm. then you go to a different place the south is historically slower in that right. case in a kind way to say that yeah. i guess you know um but you know some of the states in the south yeah. are the ones that have the really conservative laws that you know when roe was overturned they really mm -hmm. rushed to make some changes that you know, if you are a more progressive thinker or more a person who really is more liberal in their thoughts and it's just different. It's right. really different. And so you're going from a little bit more progressive yeah. blue state to a weird. red state. Yeah. It's really different. Yeah. It's really different. And um, it is really interesting because like we never grew up talking about politics. Kenzie, like our parents never brought it up to us, just how we were. Um, and obviously we learned more as we got older and are starting as we are at the voting age, like starting to think about, hey, what are my beliefs? Or just understanding, you know, the history behind it because it's really hard to have this decision. Like my sister has brought it up like countless times about like whatever she's like voting and all that stuff. And she's like, it's a lot of just learning it in is. this moment where we have like this huge decision to make and just like understanding why. Um, but when we were talking about, you know, being the minority group, I actually had a lecture in Alabama where the guy I was giving the lecture was actually deaf mm -hmm. and the whole lecture was in sign language. And a girl was like, oh, well, he needs a translator. And I've never thought about this before, but until my professor said it. So my professor had has two deaf parents. Both his parents were deaf. And so he just grew up, you know, in that culture of being like kind of shied away from society. Like the way people treated him more like his parents. And the professor, professor goes, no, he doesn't need the translator. You do. Because mm -hmm. you need to understand what he's saying. It's not like he is at this level where he's trying to communicate with you and he needs this person with him. It's just that we don't know his language that he's right. speaking, which is sign language. Right. And so after my professor said that, I was like, we are the ones that need the translator. We need to understand the idea of what it's like. Try to think. We will never understand someone's fully pr perspective right. of what they go through. But I think especially what you're doing here at the Ravens, just like trying to understand where these people are coming from and also celebrate that and allow them to have a voice. You know, these minority groups have a voice more in our community. Yeah. And their voice is really important because, like I said, our fans are they represent our fans. So if we look at it from a homogenous perspective, mm -hmm. we're going to miss a bunch of people and right. football. Prior, you know, there was a big uprising when our team knelt in London. You were you're probably a little bit young to kind of really understand the different mm -hmm. dynamics of that. But we played in London for the first time in 2017. We played at 9 a.m. And there was some political upheaval, I think, the night before. And our players, Colin Kaepernick had knelt the season before. Oh, and none of our mm -hmm. players had done that. There was some upheaval with the president at the time. And they knelt on national TV, 9 a.m. And we have a very, it's probably, you know, the country is split 50-50, mm -hmm. really. So we have a very large population of our fans that are super conservative and felt that was very disrespectful um, and were, like, burning our stuff. And mm -hmm. walking in into our lobby, cutting up their shirts and never vowing never to watch the sport again. And they don't bring politi politics in and play and, you know, shut up and play yeah. and that kind of thing. And then there was a... a, a probably just as many people that were like, the players have a right to, to say whatever. There are military people who fought for their right to sit or stand or do whatever mm -hmm. they want to do. So there's this huge upheaval. 
But if you have people who only think one way, you're going to alienate so many other people. So it is a, it is something that brings people together of all types. Right. And so that's why the first time that this politics were really brought into it, I think yeah. it was such an such a big it's a hard thing. It was really hard. Yeah. But, you know, you don't it breaks socioeconomic barriers. It mm-hmm. breaks, breaks race and gender barriers. It breaks, you know, male, female. There are tons of female fans, you know, so it really is something that brings people together. And so you have to really walk the fine line of like right. what they do and what they say, but also make sure that the people who are working here and are serving our fans, have 2 million followers on Facebook, right? 2 million people, 2 million people are not at MT bank stadium <laughs> on, on Sunday. It's a yeah. bit 2 million people. So who are those 2 million people and how do we reach them and how do we connect with them? Right. And we have a black quarterback, which is super inspirational for, you know, black children across yeah. America and across the world. It's like, I can be that representation matters. And right. How do we reach them? And what do we do? What do we put on our social channels? What do we put on our website? What do we put on our podcasts and on our TV channels and on our boards? And right. how do we reach those kids and those kinds of things? And you need a diverse group of people thinking about that in order to create content right. and deliver what it is that's going to reach all different kinds of fans. Right. And I think that's a lot of the things that companies are doing now. Company that I love, Aerie, was like yeah. one of the first, you know, American Eagle, yep. Aerie, yep. was like one of the first companies, well, that I saw like as a girl, um, as a woman, like in the, you know, shopping, yeah. you know, looking at magazines and online that had different race, different sized yeah. women in their, like wearing their clothes. Now it's like Old Navy has taken the next yep. step and has, and Gap and, you know, that whole collection of brands. And you can like pick which size model you want to see yep. the clothing on yep. instead of like some yep. tall, skinny, which she's gorgeous too. People want to see that, right. but people also want to see like their size if right. they're not that size. Right. And so I think, you know, with race, but also with, um, you know, like I said, plus size, um, all different size women. And I think it's just companies are now taking a step to think, oh, how can we allow people to see themselves? Like yeah. you said, 100%. like how can I look at this and my mom and my sister and my grandmother look at these clothing or that's just an example I'm giving right. and see ourselves or TV shows, you know, right. and especially in Apple TV. Now we see, I think just, I was just watching like Ted Lasso the other day. Mm-hmm. And um, I think TV shows is just have just changed in the way that we see a more diverse culture, even mm-hmm. in TV shows. So it is something interesting to like be growing up at this time to see what it was when I was a little kid and now watching TV shows now yeah, and seeing. If you think about it, TV, I mean, sports is entertainment. We're in the entertainment business. So entertainment, retail, they're all trying to make a connection with somebody to buy their stuff. Right. I mean, candidly, that's what we're trying to do. We want to fill that stadium. We do not want an empty seat on any day that we are playing yeah. in that stadium. So we need to make it our business to connect with people who are invested in us and what's our connection and is right. it our connection. And it's not a homogenous connection because it's not a homogenous group of people that are in there. The same thing with Aerie, the same thing with Old Navy. They're not just <laughs> selling to five, nine, 120 yeah. pound women. More often than not, they're not selling to those people. And yeah. how do they make that connection? And how do they get you to buy in to be brand loyal? And that's right. really what we're trying to do. We want those 2 million people to be brand loyal to the Ravens. Right. And we want you to be a part of our community. Ideally, you buy a ticket and you come to the game yeah. or you buy some gear. You support us in some sort of way. Right. Um, you raise your kids to support us, you know. And right. so we just build that community. If you look at, you know really long legacy teams like the Steelers. I don't know. You travel a little bit. <laughs> Everywhere I've ever been in my entire life, I've seen somebody in a Steelers shirt. Yeah. I mean, I've been in the British Virgin Islands. I've been in California. I've been in New York. I'm like, these people are everywhere. Like, yeah. That's our goal. We want to be everywhere. And so um, they're really good at it. But the same right. thing with any kind of retailer or restaurant, right. you know, yeah. how do we connect with you so that you pick us all exactly. the time? Um, switching topics a little bit. Uh, employee engagement is a really big thing, especially in companies today. So how do you think, or what are some ways that you're, you know, in getting your employees engaged with your company and also the community? Sure. That's a great question. I think by the nature of what we do, being engaged is a qualification of the job. 
Right. You really can't be disengaged and be successful at your job. 99.9% of our jobs have some sort of involvement with the football team mm -hmm. and the game experience. You know, most of our employees ha have a game day job that they're working the entire time and they are engaging with our fans. They're engaging with each other. They're engaging with the players, you know, our athletic trainers, our equipment staff, our coaches mm -hmm. and our scouts. I mean, they have such a connection to the team that in order for the on-field performance, everybody else is for the off-field performance. Mm -hmm. What's going on the boards? What are we serving in the stands? How cold is it? How yeah. hot is it? Is it raining? What are we going to do? Those kinds of things. Like, how do we get people in and out safely? Right. How do we have the best game day experience possible? So that is just 100% engagement all the time. So yeah. from the actual in employee level is we talk about it. We ask them, what do you think? How do you feel? Like, we're not looking. I get emails all the time that say, I just love the Ravens so much. I'll do anything. I'll sweep the floors. I'll, I'll wash the clothes. I'll do anything. And so I'm like, that's great. We love that fan loyalty and that fandom. That's wonderful. Be yeah. a fan. We love that. Buy a ticket. Come to the game. Come to an event. But when it comes to working, I want you to know what you want to do. And I want you to be right. really good at it. I want you to say, I'm really passionate about guest experience. And if you think about Disney as somebody being yeah. very passionate about guest experience, they want people who are really passionate about the people walking through the door having a really good time. And they think about it and we ask their opinion and they're professionals on it and they talk about it. And we are engaged with them and their intellectual content that right. they bring and how we execute it. So from an engagement standpoint, we have a lot of meetings. We have a lot of, we ask a lot of questions. We ask our employees to pour their heart and soul into it. Right. And we listen to them. Tell us about your experience. Yeah. What do you think? Um, again, it goes back to the diversity. If you have a diverse thought, it's like, okay, well, maybe a fan would like this or that, you know? Right. Um, so... <clears throat> That's a little bit about engagement. And then we really just have a culture where um, we don't, we don't, we used to be remote when it was kind of unheard of with COVID. We had to go remote yeah. and we've slowly brought people back because our, what we do is an in-person thing. So right. to have people working remote a hundred percent of the time when we're, we're really asking for is to fill that stadium and you can't practice remote. You can't train remote. You can't have fans come remotely. We want in person. So that really does help us with engagement because we have people here all the time right. and you talk to each other, you see each other in the hallway, you eat lunch together, you spend a lot of time together. So that helps. Uh, I know. I love like Kenzie and I. It's such mm -hmm. a long story. We won't tell you guys all of it. <laughs> but anyway, we need our passports. Elizabeth here helped us. And whenever we came in that day, first off, Kenzie and I were like, feeling like we we're the best people. <laughs> we're like telling all our friends, we're like, we're going to the Ravens Castle, they call it. <laughs> it was like this whole thing. But the feeling of coming in and even into that cafeteria, even though we just like walked like 50 feet into the cafeteria, um, the people that helped us, but seeing them interact with one of another, with each other was like amazing. Like people were like, do they call you EJ? Yeah, the, yes. Okay, so some, they were saying EJ. Yeah. I'm like, where's the J? I don't know. It was, but, yeah, I got married. It's Miriam. Oh, oh, oh. It Jackson before, so they called me EJ, which I never really liked, but they did. Well, that's what they're calling you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't understand. That must be her. But, but just to my point is like walking into like a place where you feel like everybody knows each other. Like yeah. everybody is such, and I only, only have been here once, but like feeling that connection of people. There was like an ice cream truck outside. Yeah. This is the second time. But, yeah. But, just like seeing people engage with one another, seeing people engage was like amazing for me because yeah. I didn't see the behind the scenes at the Raven yeah. ever in my life. And I yeah. didn't, haven't even seen it at all, but I just mm -hmm. saw like part of this community has such a big love for, you know, this game, but also like what they're sharing with and bringing to people, yeah. you know? So that was really something that, you know, Kenzie and I enjoyed seeing and being a part of for just like a couple minutes. It's super cool. And, and we ask a lot of our employees because they give a lot to what it is that they do. and super talented you know you can see the output on game day you can see the output on our social channels you can see right. the output on linkedin and our internet and all that kind of stuff but you know the inside it's a pretty small mm -hmm. close-knit group of people who make really big flashy things happen i mean if you look around in this podcast studio the artwork and the, right. just the coloring that all comes from in-house you know and yeah. the color on the walls and that kind of thing it all comes in-house and so you really need people to be together and meld together and work together. And that creates a sense of feeling of family. 
and mm-hmm. it creates and we're all united. We all want to win. Like right. most it really of the people does, yeah. are these type A <laughs> kind of competitive people, which, you know, and it's like they might get in squabbles with each other. But don't you. It's like family. Yeah, I might fight with my sister, but don't you dare say a bad thing about my yeah. sister. You know, we're in it together. And so when you do win, you win together. And when you lose, you lose together and you take it really hard. Right. You know, the football team takes it really hard. So does the marketing team, the the playoff run and the stuff that we put together for like kickoff week to get the city excited and yeah. the stuff that that team puts together, the social team and the marketing teams for the playoffs is just so intense and it's yeah. so fun and it's crushing when you lose. It's crushing. <laughs> you're for like, everyone. Oh, for everybody. <laughs> and then you see, you literally see on Mondays and Tuesdays, the players come in and they're so, they're wearing ice taped on their shoulders yeah. and their knees and how actual physically painful the game is for them. Right. And then you see them again the next Sunday and they're out there like playing as Crazy. hard as they can. So that really creates a level of engagement that a lot of other companies just right. don't naturally have. Actually have. Yeah. And so as a woman, now going on to like being a woman in a male dominated industry. So yeah. as a woman in a traditionally male dominated industry, what has it been like in the past, as I guess in your whole life? Being in this well, industry. it's interesting. I never really thought of it as being a woman necessarily when I first came in. Uh-huh. A little bit naive to it. As a yeah. little bit like you were talking about, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, okay, I know it's a sport played by men. And there were some women on the business side, not many on the football side mm-hmm. when I first started. I don't think any, they were, if they were, they were in like administrative right. roles. They really weren't in like leadership roles yeah and that's changed over the last 20 years a lot we have we have women in leadership roles there's still a long way to go right to be honest um but I never really thought of myself oh I'm a woman but I have oftentimes been the only woman in a room full of men making a decision but I feel like I've been able to hold my own but again being bringing awareness to it and being like okay maybe I need to think about it differently because I am a woman and there are some things that I'm like almost conditioned myself to be like okay well that's okay I'm like wait a minute that's not okay you know like that's not really the way we should be thinking about things it's not really the way maternity leave is a good example like in this country maternity leave is really pretty crappy (laughs) um it just is and so I'm like well wait a minute we have the power to change that why do we have to accept the crap you know and why do we have to accept that someone can only get six weeks at 60 percent of their pay and I'm like when they work so hard all year so we changed it. And then yeah. we have 13 weeks at 100%, which is, is yeah. and you go on maternity leave and you, we turn off your access. Go take care of your new baby, whoever right. it is. And it can be, it can, we have parental leave for the dads. And um, so there are things that like institutionally that have right. been built into us as women that we learn to accept. But then it's again, bringing awareness to it and being like, wait a minute, do we have to do that? Let's see if we can right. think about it differently. There's still some hills that we have to climb in terms yeah. of women having um, even access. If you think about it on the coaching side, if you want to get into football coaching or football scouting, oftentimes you played the game. Right. Men just don't play the game at the same level that women have the ability yeah. to do here today. That doesn't mean women can't be good scouts. It doesn't mean that women can't be good coaches. But to get to those elite levels you've usually been doing it your whole right. life. And that's kind of an institutional, traditional yeah. life you played. And then you were like a graduate assistant somewhere, something like that. So for women to break down those barriers, we still have a long way to go, but it's coming. You know, yeah. the NFL has put some, some requirements. You have to have, when I started, there was no female locker room. There was no, so if you had a, there wasn't an official, a female official, there wasn't a female coach. And if there was, there was no place for her to shower and change. You think about oh, right. the yeah. coaches, oftentimes they wear different clothes on the bus or to the, yeah. to the game. And then they change. Sometimes they shower. Sometimes they don't. If it's freezing cold and you know, they layer up, there weren't sideline gear. There right. wasn't sideline gear for women. And now there is. Yeah. You know, they would alter the men's clothes for the few women that were there. Yeah. So there's been some great strides in that. Um, which is really good. We just need more women to choose right. the sport as a career. Right. You know, it was like this. Is and it all really goes back do. to like understanding thinking because there, there was a, I can't remember what the company is named, but it was an engineering company and they would have a uniform. Obviously they put on like these jumpsuits and I think the lady's name who created it was Jamie Glass and she was the first woman that joined the company. It was like, we need women outfits. Yeah. Like women fit 
jumpsuits because all these women that were in this engineering company and building, like one of my greatest friends, Ella Howard at school, she is in the engineering field. And I didn't think about it much until she was into it because I always just thought male dominated industry. And now more women are getting involved with engineering. But what they wear to right. their uniform. Right. And like right. just thinking about to little things like that, like we need to have, you know, this fit a woman better right. than it fits would right. fit huge like a man, right. you know? So right. I think it is it all comes down to just like revolving around like what each aspect of the yeah. job looks like. And it also, like you said, you've been the only woman at the table. But also like you like you said, you've done a great job of like or I'm just gonna speak I wanna <laughs> speak for you, but of like holding your own, like speaking up for yourself, do you think? I think so. And you win some and you lose some, you know, yeah. you, you, you know, where I, where m me and my team have the power to make changes. We do our former president and who was with the team for 18 years was very um, empowering and huh. he listened and he, okay, yeah, let's do that. And our current president is really the same way. He's an, he's a bit, I like to see he's an envelope pusher. Yeah. He challenges us. Think about things differently. I'm like, okay. And sometimes we win and sometimes right. we lose. Sometimes it's like, okay, not right now. And sometimes like, yes, that's a good idea. Yeah. So, but the ability, and he and I were just going on a debate about this hire just yesterday. And I'm like, and another thing. And he's like, I hear you. And, and I'm like, but one more thing. I'm going to go down fighting on this. And he still might not yeah. land where I land, but at least there's a voice. And I can say, okay, I understand where you're coming from. You understand where I come, I'm coming from. You may not choose what I want you to choose and that stinks but we're still on the same page right. and we've made some inroads to think about it differently right so that's what I mean by holding my own I yeah. never felt like ever held back simply because I'm a woman or that my voice isn't as Heard. doesn't count as loudly yeah um, and there's two women on the executive team now and both of us I think have been here for a, a long time and we've built up a reputation of being fair and will listen and but we also just don't go quietly and right. the night you know I think that's part of the great community that the Ravens have built because there are many workplaces that maybe women's women feel silenced or they don't feel like they necessarily have a chair at that table sure. or a place to speak for sure or they feel like shunned so I think it is all part of like the culture that you know you all have built here not it just is. the president but like everyone in general it is and it's interesting gender dynamics are really wonky like there's nothing I can ever do to put myself in a man's shoes and right. vice versa. There just really isn't. Our bodies are different. Our physical yeah. capabilities are oftentimes different. Um, you know, there will be men who would be uncomfortable with me being in the locker room. Yeah. And that is unique to a men's locker room because in a female locker room, like in the WNBA or, you know, a women's soccer team, men have been in there their whole career. Right. You know, they've just been used to it. But right. in male sports, that hasn't really been the case. Yeah. That's changed over the years. It's like, okay, well, there are female reporters in there. There are athletic trainers. There are doctors. There are public relations professionals yeah. and those kind of people who have a job to do. And they're in that same locker room. And there have been some conservative men that are like, no, I don't want them in that space because I'm. it's a vulnerable space for me. So we had to come up with accommodations right, with to meet that because we're not all the same gender. So there are some things that we've really had to reconsider. It's like, right, you know, if I'm a woman and I'm taking a shower after a game and I don't really want the male PR intern to see me yeah. undressed, that's probably fair, you right. know, and yeah. it's fair the other way. So how do we move around that? Because that right. PR intern has a job to do, yeah. you know, and how do we get both needs met? And which have like, sadly, a lot of things have become more political in our community, but also in a great way and where we can like understand, you know, topics, especially like equality for women and um, just like, giving women more of a voice right. you know right. especially with like the podcast that I often get questions of like why don't you have your dad on I would love to but <laughs> why don't you have your dad on or a lot of people ask me you know here's the man that you should have on as, as much as I see a lot like I see my dad as someone that is like dominating you know his life and like just making really living his best life and yeah. learning a lot and sharing a lot with Mackenzie and I and my mom and just having this amazing life with my parents I think that it's important to have women to give women a space where they, you know, can just hear from two from two women talking right. or multiple women talking. And so I think that it's just important for, you know, especially the area that you've built here or you all have built here at the Ravens, just make everyone feel like they have a, a place. Yeah, you are and that's really hard to do. To your point, it's all about learning. Like yeah. how we're raised. 
you know, the nature versus nurture kind of argument goes mm-hmm. back to like, are you born this way? Are you nurtured this way? Right. Are you developed differently? And there's tons of studies and research that will say boys are definitely raised differently than girls. And yeah. some of that, um, they carry that with them. You know, they, they're taught not to show their emotions or accept, you know, vo- that mm-hmm. being vulnerable and all those kinds of things is sort of a conditioning and a patriarchal society yeah. that we're in. And so, like, as a parent, I try to do different with my yeah. son. I'm like, he's, he's so okay. cute, though. He's so cute. <laughs> I'm like, buddy, you need a hug. It's okay. Like, you know, to, to try to try to balance that out a little bit. Um, but, you know, and be accepting of who, whatever. Yeah. You can always build a bigger table. Right. That's the thing. Like, yeah. there's this whole sense of if I change how I think or I open up you're taking something away from me and that's not really the case at all we can just build a bigger table did you post that the other day or something yeah oh my goodness I just totally stole that from you I was gonna say it (laughs) I heard that somewhere I'm like it was you yeah it's not a competition like (sighs) I don't have to squelch somebody else yeah in order to be important whatever that means it's particularly for women like two women talking and like empowering each other and letting you know we're not in competition. I'm yeah. gonna help you and you help me. Mm-hmm. We don't have to compete against each other. We could both be successful. Right. And let me help you do that. And the same thing with anybody who's in this gender fluid space. I don't care mm-hmm. how you are. Let me figure out how I can help you and how I can support yeah. you and what you can bring here to this culture. And we'll figure out something. And there's right. gonna be new territory. Okay. I get it that you might be a bigger swimmer because you're a transgender woman. Let's figure it out. There yeah. doesn't have to be a space for hate that says we're right. never going to do that. And, and that's whether, yeah, really what we're fighting Right. And against. I think it, you know, it's whether if they create, like, I always, like, I do think that maybe, like, they, even if they have women, men, and people that are non-binary, three different. Right. Like, that's, if we, like, if we really, I do think, I'm, I'm trying to, like, stay away from the conflict. It really is so much at this age. But yeah. even if we create a new, um, what's it called? A new category. Category for people. Right. Like, when I ran. Uh, St. Michael's half. I just PR'd in St. Michael's half nice. marathon. Thing. It was really fun. Very humid though. It was like, <laughs> and dad wasn't running with me this time. It's the first half marathon. He didn't run with me. Cause I was like, it's your turn. Go to PR. And he definitely did. Cause he's been working That's on speed so- apparently since <laughs> I've been gone. And um, there was, so I won in my age group. I was like third in my age group. And there was a different category now. For people yeah. that are non-binary just or transgender think. or whatever the term Wherever is. Wherever you want to be. Like, you think we just yeah. think about it. It's really, you know, there is an immediate sort of defense mechanism when you think about the word inclusion oftentimes. Because right. you think, if I include you, that I'm going to get something less. Or right. um, particularly if you're in the dominant group, you know, you're like, wait a minute, what does yeah. that mean? Does that mean we're not hiring white people now? Does that mean we're not doing things the way we've always done them? Because I'm super comfortable right. with that. And so bigger focus is let's just talk about it let's think about it let's be creative what always was may not always be and there may be a grieving process for that Uh for some people who have to come to terms with whatever it is but we need that in order to progress we are not the same society we were in the 1900s we guess what we have electricity now you know (laughs) and we have things to make us go bigger faster stronger so we're constantly evolving and change is hard for people and people depending on how you were raised have and your religious beliefs, there's a bunch of stuff around that. Um, but really being progressive around your open-mindedness, you may right. still say, that's not for me. Right. But that's okay for you, and I'm going to support it. Yeah. That's a completely different conversation than judging someone for exactly how they look, how they dress, who they love, what religion they are, any of those kinds of things. It's like really just be a contributing member to yeah. society and kindness and goodness. That's what matters at yeah. the end of the day. Like in some in some situations and debates and stuff like that, where I might not know my opinion entirely, like what my religious beliefs are and stuff like that. And if I say, you know what, I don't truly believe in this, or I don't believe that this should be a thing, especially like with what you just said, like I think they should create a new league, and we could have three. We, I mean, we could just think about it differently. But I do think that it's important to be open minded, like you said. Right. I think that, like, I think the people that are closed minded or is that the word close minded yeah. or just like off of saying no that's not for me entirely or just being like hey I'm going to listen to it right. and my dad was saying the other day we were talking and he was like the most important thing you can do is just listen and try to understand 
from some point of how this could maybe affect your belief or change it. Right. You know, or, or right. it's something you haven't thought about before. Or give you empathy yeah. or show some vulnerability or understanding. And it is really different. I remember this is a funny story. So I started in Aerotech in 1999. I started as an HR assistant and um, the HR director at time at the time was British and she was this cool like quirky <laughs> yeah. lady and she'd say oh darling you know she talked to us in her british accent she was super smart yeah and there was another um girl on my team and um it was the two of us and she was dedicated to a little bit of the recruiting side yeah. and i was sort of this the catch-all side and she's a person of color she's a black woman I'm still friends with her to this day and she had braids in her hair and so friday we went home and we said bye have a nice weekend and then our cubes were, or we had walls, so our faces were kind of together, but we couldn't see each other. So right. Monday, I came in, and I go bebopping around the corner to say good morning to her, and her hair is super short. And I was like, oh, my God, you cut your hair. And she's like, no, dummy, I took out my braids. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, cool, cool, cool. So let's talk about that. What is that? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, like, no I idea. had no yeah. idea. I thought she literally had long braids because much yeah. like you, I grew up in a predominantly white community I didn't have any black friends and I'm like all right so we can talk about them like do you use hairspray like what and she's like I learned all right. about her hair and like she was graciously like shared that with me um because it's you know I didn't know and she probably knew a lot more about white hair than she ever right. really wanted to because that's the dominant culture but like right. just being open to being understanding and have friends that are different than you and you don't really have that until you explore the world outside exactly. and your parents job is to kind of you in a small bubble and shelter you and get you to the place where you can learn about who you want to be but you don't really know that until you get out of that and um, it was just a really cool experience it was for me one of the first times I was like whoa and we talked a lot about her growing up and how she was raised versus Mm -hmm. how I was raised and the kinds of things that um black parents do to protect black children you're like the police come to your school and they're really great friends and my parents are like be very careful. Put your hands on the steering wheel when you stop. Yeah. Be very respectful because I want you to come home safe versus our parents were like, the police are going to bring you home safe. Right. You know, it's just a completely different way that they were yeah. raised and the way they view the world. And um, I was like, wow, we weren't really raised in the same country. You yeah. know, and, and it is really wild. And I still yeah. haven't had that full like, and I can say that like sadly, but also I want to learn more. Yeah. And like, I'm still in an area where, you know, I revolve myself or you know, I'm around the same, same type of people yep. as me. And even though it's changed drastically right. since I was a younger kid, I think it is still very, like, it's going to be interesting to learn about somebody else. Yeah. And one of, um, it is, who was it? One of my friends or someone I knew somehow, her best friend lived in, I don't know, a totally different country, grew up totally different. I'm going to butcher the story. But... <laughs> They got to learn so much about each other. Yeah. And that's just an example like like you just get you just gave. And it's like actually like when Kenzie and I, we want to go study abroad. I want to learn yeah. other people's culture. And that's something I think is really important. It's really sad in this country because of really systemic racism and, and redlining. Like there aren't communities, mixed communities. Like, uh-huh. you know, right. it's all basically the same people. And even if that's the case, same case sometimes with historically with immigrants, like mm-hmm. all of the Italian people live together because yeah. they had a like-minded culture. You know, all the Irish people lived together and when they immigrated. But as the country grew and laws were put into place, like segregation really impacted the way our communities are in this country. Right. Like schools aren't really Even not. Even in Maryland. They're right. Yeah. They're really not diverse. You know, unless you go yeah. down to PG County, you know, yeah. where it is. But, you know, if you live in suburbia, it's predominantly yeah. white. Um, I have a couple last questions. Okay. I know we've been talking. I'm like talking in a year old. But <laughs> um, what woman, What advice would you give to women who aspire, you know, to have these big leadership roles in these industries, huge industries? I think my advice to anybody is always be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. Find something you're passionate in, something you're good at, something you like doing and bring that to the table. Right. And be really good at it. Be really good at your craft. Be really good at what you do and how you do it and be passionate about it and never stop learning. So Mm -hmm. even if you're good at it at that moment, there's something else to learn. Never stop learning. Never stop being open. Um, because relationships get you really, really far uh-huh. in the world. You know, coming from the place that I am there, you know, we've done 
all kinds of the spectrum of employees that who've been like really, really good at their job or really, really bad yeah. at the job. And the ones who are really bad at their job but have great relationships still do better right. than the people who are really good at their jobs and, and don't have relationships. So be really good at what you do, but also there's don't underestimate the power of a relationship and a connection. Right. People want to feel connected. They want to feel like you care. They want to feel like you have their back. They, you know, there are some women that feel like, you know, that have been in a position where I have to be really good and bold and put on this face and I don't want to be vulnerable and I don't want to, you know, I'm in competition with everybody else. And, yeah. and I just don't, for me, that would not be my advice to anyone. My advice right. is like build a bridge, build a bigger table, yeah. be good at what you do and build allies wherever you go. Yeah. Um, I think that would serve you, serve you yeah. so much better and always be willing to learn. It's such an important an exciting thing to do when we were in high school but I also had parents like everyone grows up differently but I also had parents that were very you know connected my dad and mom both had connections that they knew people from that I've learned you know about but seeing them like network themselves their entire lives yeah. like it is so exciting for me to like especially with the podcast like I just love meeting new people and whether it's I learned someone from a guest or someone recommends somebody or a lot of the time, the people, all the people that I've picked or have chosen or asked to come on have been someone that I've followed for a while and just have like was like, oh, this would be really interesting. Or someone that I have recently just like kind of fallen in love with what they've posted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you, I was like, I follow on Facebook. I mean, Facebook message is probably the worst way to, way to communicate ever. But it's great. I, mean, know, I wouldn't like, know how to work it. I was like, <laughs> it's awful. Well, the problem with it is, and I'll tell you, is like if you post in your story and people like it, the messages just get so filled up. And yeah. like mine's got like 300 messages. And I'm like, yeah. I don't possibly have time. No. For and most of them are just like liking something that right. I like. They're not actually saying anything of yeah. substance. So I'm like, ah, I, I ignore it because yeah. I think it's overwhelming. I only use it to take the list of my red. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know anyone else on it. <laughs> we'll have to figure out a new way. But okay, last questions that I ask all of my guests is last, second to last, do you like to read? And if so, like what is your favorite book? Ooh, I do like to read. I read way less now because I have two young kids. And <laughs> if I read after I fall asleep, so I'm doing. I listen to a lot of podcasts because I have a long commute. But I do like to read, and I usually like to read people's stories. So, yeah, that's how I am. Um, I like books, and sometimes for vacation, I like to read a book that will make me escape. I don't really yeah. like scary things or sad things, so I like to read a book that will make me escape. But I most recently, on my most recent vacation, I read Gabrielle Union's books okay. and um. They were so interesting. Yeah. And they were, she's so cool. I'm like, totally have a glass of wine with her. <laughs> yeah. um, as my most recent read, but um, I like historical fiction too. Okay. Um, I have a, there's a local author, Erica Roebuck. Shout out to her if you like historical fiction. Yeah. She And she writes a lot about powerful women figures in history. So okay, there is cool. an element of fiction to the book, but it is really historical. She does research. Um, Sisters of the Night and Fog is a really good one. She wrote about one of Ernest Hemingway's um, right. wives. So good stuff like that. Yeah. So a little bit of truth. And then if I'm really like just trying to take a break, I will just read something that is just like a yeah. Kristen Hanna book or something like Firefly, right. Lane, Firefly Lane or something yeah. like that for like <laughs> a beach read, you know, but, which is also super sad. But, you know, yeah. is, um, something like that. So do you have a favorite, do you just, do you have a favorite book? Like a one book, probably one that I really stands out for my book club or play two, which is Memoirs of a Geisha. Okay. Um, and the Poisonwood Bible with Barbara Kingsolver were really good books for me. Um, that are probably uh, my ultimate favorite, like summer read is Summer Sisters by Judy Bloom. I okay. give it to everybody. I've seen that a lot. Like, um, yeah, yeah, it's a little smutty, it but it's a little. It's yeah, like these two girls who grew up as friends, and it's just really, it's like a beach, yeah, it's a good beach read. Yeah, I love, I love a story too. But I've been listening more and I think I am more of a listener. Like I've been listening to a book whenever I'm by myself driving. Yeah. I'm listening to Girl, Wash Your Face by. Oh, yeah. Rachel Hollis. Yep, yep. And I have really liked it. But um, I've realized like it's easier for me just to put it on and listen. I actually like I think it is her narrating. narrating I think she it. does narrate her. Yeah, I think I've not hers. listened or read that, but um, that's on my list. But I find listening sometimes my mind drifts and then I have yeah. to like back it up. I'm like, yeah. So I enjoy. You, I have to do it when I'm like connected. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to listen to this. I feel good. Or I need to learn. Like, I'm not a big reader. So this is why I asked the question. Yeah. Because I really good, want to. It is a good question. 
Um, I also have Michelle Obama's new book on my nightstand. What's it called? Is it the light in the light we see in us? Yeah, in us, something like that. Becoming was the first one, and it's light we carry. Oh yeah, is it? I have that, and I also have that. um, Harry's spare on my nightstand too. (laughs) That should be interesting. (laughs) Um, but so finally, would what would you tell the girl who is struggling to know her self worth or find confidence? Hang in there. Hang in there. You know, every single woman, and I would say man too, because, you know, to break this patriarchy, all of us struggle with that. Every single person, every single woman has to come to terms with her body, what it can and can't do, how you fuel it, how you don't fuel it, what's your natural color of your hair? Is it curly? Is it straight? Do you get highlights? Do you wear makeup? Whatever it is. And so, that is a rite of passage that every single human has to go through. You have to figure out how to love yourself for who you are. And the only way to get there is through. Don't yeah. go around. There's no shortcut. Um, but surround yourself with good people. You yeah. know, build a good connection of network of people. And if people that are around you, you don't feel good when you're around them. If yeah. it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right. If they yeah. don't make you feel good about yourself, if they make you doubt yourself, if they don't build you up, they don't cheer you on, they may not tell you everything you want to hear, yeah. you know, because inside you may say, be knowing the answer and you're still not making the choice yeah. that you should make. But so if they may have tough conversations with you, but tough conversations out of love versus tough conversation out of envy or jealousy is a really different thing. And, right. you know, lean into those feelings of that and kind of understand where that's coming from and, and push through. And if you don't have the right circle, find a different circle. Because believe me when I tell you, there are women out there that will yeah. champion you. There are women out there and there are men out there that will support you. Yeah. Um, but finding your own inner self-confidence is something that every single person on the planet has to do. It's right. not unique to you. And I don't care how confident that person looked next to you. They had to go through it. Too. Right. Um, that's great. I think that's great advice. I think real quick before we wrap up, yeah. the other day, this just connects to amazing what, what you just said. I snuck Instagram from my parents growing <laughs> up. Like I was like <laughs> six or seven. Like oh guys, I was God. young. Seven, I think. <laughs> I was on my iPad because mom would be logged in and I'd be like, yeah. No. <laughs> it was like Maddie Patty. I'm not going to say it, but whatever. It's Oh no, it's my Instagram now. I've changed the thing. I've archived all the posts. But the past month, I've been like in a or past year, really, when I've started this, and I've just have had a lot of confidence in myself, but also in the community that I've built around myself and, you know, the community that I'm in with women. Um, we've gone through the archive posts, and I haven't shown many friends, but the other day I did. And when I tell you, like, okay, it's probably seven or eight. Yeah. And then I, it gets bad when I'm, like, nine and ten. The things <laughs> I'm posting, like, that little girl had no care in the world. Like, I did not care about makeup. I did not care about, like, fitting in or any of this. I, like, I posted a video of me like eating cereal (laughs) I was like morning and it really is like one day we'll have to go through it but I think it is just knowing and you find it at the right time and I think that it is really tough and after that like I middle school was tough high school was a little tough but you know it is all about who you surround yourself with it is and it's funny because I have a four and a half year old daughter and if we could all have the confidence of a four and a half year old or a five year old, and we could carry that with us forever. Like if I had a wish for the world, that would be it. Yeah. Because you're when you're that age, you just don't care. You, you know, don't she know. walks around naked all the time. Yeah. And like she loves her body and she thinks she can do anything. And not in an arrogant way. Yeah. She just firmly believes in herself. And somewhere along the way that gets lost. Right. And social media really truly is to blame a lot of times for girls in particular there's a lot of research that says you know young women and the algorithm that feeds body image and self-confidence is really deteriorating over over social media so i don't have to face that when i (laughs) yeah don't let her sneak in don't let her sneak it that was different back then it was was like mom quotes and like it was different a little bit like pinterest that ability to believe in yourself and have faith that it will be okay and that you can do hard things and you can get through it and that every single other person is going through the same thing no matter what they put out to the world because every single person has to take that same journey that you and I have to take and it wanes you may be high now and you may get 
your mid twenties and be like, well, I think I, it happens all the time. I thought I was going to be married. I thought I was going to be able to buy a house. I thought I was not going to have any school loans and I have a job I don't like and it dips. And then you have to kind of dig back into yourself and say, all right, where's my village? Right. You know, what do I have? And am I looking at really the, really the reality of life or am I looking at the social media reality of life yeah. where people are putting their highlight reel right. out there? Um, <laughs> the you know, reels. and it's like, so you, and, and, and every 25 year old is going through this. Every new mom is going through this. Every yeah. new divorcee is going through this. Everyone who starts a new job has anxiety or an imposter syndrome. And like, so you just sort of have to kind of remind yourself that like, all right, I'm confident in my skills. I know I can do it. And everyone else feels the same way. Right. And people have been there. So it's a lot easier yeah. for me to think and have this podcast where I'm like, okay, I can hear these women's struggles. And like, and then now I'm, you know, experiencing it, but now I can lean on this person. And then right. hopefully like the whole reason of the podcast is that younger girls can ex- learn from these experiences. Then I can be that person for them, you know? 100%. So it is like building a bigger table. Right. Well, this yeah. was so much fun. Thank I loved you. it. <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much for coming on. This thank really you was for fun. Me. And thank you everyone for uh, tuning in. Before we stop, I just yeah, want to give you a huge shout oh. out. There are a lot of young people in the world and you're super motivated oh, and kind you. and passionate and driven and doing things like this and Anyone who listens and any young girl uh, should know that anything is possible. And you're really is. Oh, setting such you. a great example. Thank and you. It's a, it's really an honor and so a treasure fun. to sit here. Oh, it's so fun. Far away from each other I on know. this giant couch. <laughs> it's comfortable, though. It I like it. I have to tell yeah, the Ravens. So thank you for doing what you oh, do. Of course. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah. Thank welcome. you, everyone. Bye. <laughs>